0: This week we had one of those days in the year which, if you're like me at least, you absolutely dread. Car MOT Day. (laughs) Because you never know how much the bill's going to work out to be. Whether they're going to manage to find something that you didn't know about, that's gone wrong, that needs replacing, that's going to cost however much. Something that you just weren't prepared for. And you find yourself asking, will there be enough money in the bank to pay for this? Will it have to go on the credit card instead and then figure out how to pay it off? Have we budgeted enough to make sure that we'll be all right? How much is enough? This is often our question, isn't it, when it comes to thinking about money, especially in the age in which we live, an age of consumerism. Well, we're bombarded with messages telling us that we need more. We must have more. So what does a Christian attitude to wealth and money, grounded in Jesus's teachings, look like in today's world? Yes, the vicar is daring to go there this morning. Rather than focusing on the scarcity of resources Or what might happen tomorrow? How can we live our lives grounded and rooted in the generosity of God? Is it possible to live a different, distinctive kind of life? Set free from financial worries in order to live simply and love generously. I believe that there are perhaps two opposites but compelling impulses in our lives when it comes to money. The first is like the greed of the farmer in our gospel parable, who wants to store up as much as possible for himself so that he's able to enjoy it. Many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, can relate to that impulse, the need for more. The second impulse though, is different. It's about needing security and control. Similar to my own worries about getting the car serviced, we worry about whether what we have will be enough and whether we'll be okay if something unexpected happens to us or our loved ones. Both impulses are the same though in their result. When we indulge them, they both, both can ultimately only lead to a life of worry, of selfishness and obsession. Instead, as followers of Christ, we're called to place our financial dealings in the context of our relationship with God. As Paul writes to the Colossian Christians, set your minds on things that are above. Not the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Faith in Christ negates both our need for more and our desire for control. Because firstly, like the greedy farmer, when we die, we realise we can't take our wealth with us. As the unnamed teacher warns in our passage from Ecclesiastes, Sometimes one who has toiled, even with wisdom and knowledge and skill, must still leave all to be enjoyed by another who did not toil for it. And secondly, even in the uncertainty of our world, Paul assures us that our lives are hidden with Christ. Ultimately, in every way that matters, For all time and all eternity, Jesus Christ has made us safe. We have died with him in order that we too might be raised with him. We can attempt to plan for every earthly eventuality. We can manage every penny as carefully as possible. We can take out every possible insurance policy. But no matter what we do, no matter how much we have, Ultimately, as human beings, we cannot save ourselves. Only God in Christ can save us and has saved us by his cross and resurrection. In order to bring peace to us over all our earthly dealings. So how then are we to live? as those who are raised with Christ. Well, Paul tells us we're to clothe ourselves with a new way of living, a new set of attitudes, a new set of priorities, which are vastly different, distinctive to those of our world. We're to live in the world in a new way, freed to live more simply to love more generously, to hold what we have lightly, with a firm grip instead on Christ and on his kingdom. This is how the early Christians lived their lives, even in the shadow of the great empire of Rome. One author wrote this of them. For they are distinguished from other men, neither by country nor language, nor the customs which they observe. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all men and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things, and yet abound in all. To sum up all in one word, what the soul is in the body, that are Christians in the world. What the soul is in the body, that are Christians in the world. I wonder, how can we be the soul of the world in the way that we manage, save and spend our money as individuals? How can we be the soul of the world in the way that we manage our finances as a ministry area, as a church, prioritising God's kingdom over our own need for security? How can we be the soul of the world in the political choices that we make, prioritising the needs of the poor and the marginalised in our society over our own fiscal benefit? Because ultimately, no matter what we do, we cannot take it with us and we cannot save ourselves. Only Christ can save us. The one who emptied himself entirely in order to give of himself most fully, saving us from sin and death forever. The one who has destroyed the old kingdoms of control and comfort in order to inaugurate a new kingdom of compassion and generosity. Our wonderful Saviour, in whom and with whom Our lives are hidden with God forever. My friends, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, may we come rejoicing in the incredible gift of God's grace and by the power of the Spirit find ourselves set free to live more simply and love more generously. Amen.